Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're starting a brand new series today, and uh, hence a little bit different arrangement up here. So I'm not ignoring you when I look to the side here. Um, I'm not pretending you're not there. Because you're like, he's not even looking at us. What is he looking at? All right. Hebrews 11. We're going to get there in just a moment. Uh, I'm going to go over to Matthew. And uh, I want to read a passage there just to kind of start us off real quick. Um, And so I'm going to go to Matthew 17. And I'm going to read a verse in just a moment there. Uh, We're starting a brand new series this morning called Conversations with God. And uh, what we're asking is, if we could sit down with God over coffee, what would we talk about? What would be some of the questions that we would ask? So I want you to do this just real quick. I know some of you are looking for Hebrews still. That's fine. When you get there, do this. Um, I want you to really think about this. If you were sitting across the table from God, you were sitting across the table from God, what thoughts? Now, some of you are really spiritual. And you're going to say, oh, brother, I wouldn't ask him anything. I would just be happy to be in his presence. Well, I'm sure you would be. Okay? I'm sure you would be. I would love to be in the presence of God physically. But if you were physically in the presence of God, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just not as mature as you. There are things that I would ask him. There's a question my son asks, my youngest son asks, every single summer for the last, was it two summers or three summers? He asked it again this morning in the car on the way to church. We were talking about our conversations in the car go really weird, by the way. And if you have conversations like this where it starts here and it ends here and you're like, how did we do that? And it's this weird, twisting road. You're like, really? This is an interesting place. So we are talking about uh, destroying spider webs. That's where the conversation started. And we were talking about how uh, I made a comment that if a spider builds a web in my house, that's the wrong place for him to build a web. And it's coming down. And my oldest son said, but dad, that web is his property. And I said, well, that's fine. But he built it in my house. It's coming down. And then he said, think of all the work that spider put into building that web and all those things and, and how he, he took, you know, days or even hours to build that web. And I said, well, that's a bad investment of time on his part. <laughs> no, I said, it doesn't matter. It's coming down. And then uh, Sandra, who always looks at the right side, the bright side of life, she says this. I hate spiders, by the way. Anyone hate spiders? Raise your hand if you hate spiders. Anybody want to kill a spider, but you're a little afraid to get that close? Okay, you're kind of like, I want to squish you, but I got to get really close to squish you. Then if I miss, you might leap at me. I don't know why we think spiders can like leap up and grab our face. Okay, but if you have a fear of spiders, you imagine this. And Sandra, being, you know, the positive thinker that she is, she said, you know, spiders have a great purpose. And they, you know, they, they kill other bugs that are, you know, whatever. And they do good things and they do all this stuff. And I said, well, that's great. Outside, right? You know, like do that outside. And we got talking about the purpose of spiders, basically. And my youngest son says, it was quiet for a few minutes. He says, Mom, what's the purpose of a mosquito? And I said, son, I have no idea. I, I just, I think it's a result of the fall. Really is what I think it is. You know, it's just sin came in, mosquito was perverted some way, changed in some way. And now it does what it does. I don't know. But it got me thinking about conversations we have and these ideas of just asking these questions. And if we could sit across from God, I mean, some of us might be like, God, really, what's the deal with mosquitoes? Like, there's got to be a purpose. I just don't get it. You know, I've read through Genesis, and I don't see it. I don't understand. It says all things were good. How can a mosquito be good? I don't get it, okay? We have all these questions might ask here. So what we're going to do is we're not going to answer every single question that we may or may not have about 
what we would say to God. But we're going to answer a couple topics this morning, or this next four weeks. And we're doing a series called Conversations with God. And I want you to imagine, if you're sitting across from God, what would he say about these things that we're going to talk about? And here's what I want to do. Uh, on Facebook, on our Facebook page, uh, if you have any thoughts from this series, anything that you want to share, like our Facebook page and go on there and share those thoughts. Maybe something you take away from the message or something you would say. Maybe, you know what, if I could sit across from God, this is what I would ask. And then you can just go right on there and comment on there and make a post on our Facebook page. And I'd love to see your thoughts and hear your thoughts on there. And so we're going to be trying to put things on there recently. You've seen some couple posts already. Uh, maybe you can just even go on there's those posts and comment on there if you want. But I'd love to hear from you. What are some things that you would ask God if you could sit across from him? Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about the topic of faith. And if you could sit across from God, what would be some things that God would share with you over coffee about faith? Now, we think of faith in this very broad sense, this very large kind of conceptual, hard-to-grapple-with idea. If you've been in our Wednesday night adult group, we've been studying through the book of Hebrews. We just finished Hebrews. Uh, we did a 12-week study on Hebrews. And we went through, talked about faith a little bit there the last couple of weeks. And so some of this might seem a little familiar, but hopefully there's some new stuff that God will speak to you on. But what would God tell us if we could sit across from him over coffee and talk about faith. What would he share with us? What would be some key things that when we left that conversation, he would want to make sure we knew these things about faith, the topic of faith. But let's be honest. Sometimes you ever leave a conversation with somebody and have more questions than you got answers in the conversation? You get out to the car and you're like, oh, I should have asked. The oh, now I get what they were saying. And the cool thing about this conversation with God that we have on Sunday mornings is you can continue the conversation anytime you want. See, we don't have to say, what would it be like to have a conversation with God? You can have a conversation with God. Now, you can't sit across from over coffee. And by the way, these mugs are awesome. I don't know where these mugs came from, but they are, those are good mugs. Um, there's no coffee in there, though, okay? I'm not going to drink coffee up here. Uh, some of you are like, he brought coffee into the sanctuary. Mm-mm-mm. I don't think so. There's not a lid on that cup, sir. That's a spill hazard. Um, so, no, we're not going to drink coffee. But you can talk to God, maybe not physically, but we talked about it last week. Do you ever just get alone with his word? And you start pouring over his word and you just have that intimate connection. And it's as though, I mean, he's not physically in the chair. But isn't it as though you feel like he's right there? And you can start pouring out to your heart and he starts revealing things to you. Now, let me say this real quick. There is nothing new under the sun. Say amen for that because you can't mess up any way someone else hasn't messed up. Okay? That's a blessing. Because that means it's already been done. So, you can't do it any worse than somebody else has already done it. So you're in good company. But when I say there's nothing new in the sun, here's what I mean. There's no new revelation from God's word. Okay? We use the word revelation when really what we mean is enlightenment or illuminated. Here's what I mean. There's no new books, right? This is the completed word of God. Fully inspired, fully God's word, fully inerrant incorruptible, okay? It's God's holy word, and it is complete, and it is finished. Now, some people tell you something different. Oh, no, no, this one guy got this vision from these golden tablets, and he wrote a whole other book. You can read it if you want to. It's not this book, okay? There's only one book. So when I say that, I mean this. People say, oh, God, give me a revelation. What they mean is, God, show me something new from your word. I get it. But when I say God gave me this revelation, I'm implying it's never before been revealed. It's only been given to me. And what, does, what happens when we say those kind of things or when preachers or pastors say those things, what they're saying is you need not just this book, but God gave me a special revelation that you have to come to me for. 
That's a scary place to go. I don't need any other human being to give me a special word from God. He gave me his complete and perfect word right here. And you can read it just as easy as I can. What God does, though, is as I'm studying his word and I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm abiding in Christ, he'll open up a passage to me. But guess what? It's already been revealed. I just didn't connect with it yet. So what we're saying is it's an illumination. We're asking God, open my mind to this. And some of you might think, well, that's a pretty minor difference. It is a minor difference to some degree, but it's a large difference when you hear people using that word and then saying things like, God gave this to me. God revealed this to me. I have a special word of prophecy that now you must come to me for. And by the way, it'll cost you $79.95 for the book. The book's free, by the way. It's free. You can read it anytime you want. It's free. Okay? You might say, well, I had to pay a lot of money for my Bible. If you're worried about that, we'll give you a Bible for free. Okay? It's just yours. All right? But I want to do this. I want to look into God's word and I want to say, okay, what would God share with us about faith? Because as we open his word, it's as though he's speaking to us. Is it not? Can we praise God that he gave us his word? Amen? That he didn't have to give us his word, but he chose to? He could have said, oh, I created you. Go figure it out. Have fun. I'll be with you in a few thousand years. I don't think that's what he did, though. I think he said, no, no, I want to give you this. And quick reminder from last week. Who's the point of this book? Jesus Christ is the point of this book. Who's always the hero in this book? Jesus Christ. Who's always not the hero in this book? Us. I said it before. You are not David, and your problems are not giants. If anything, Jesus is David. If your problem is a giant, you're an Israelite cowering in the corner. That's who you are in the story. David represents Jesus Christ who conquered the greatest enemy that we have, which is sin and death. And so when you read this book, I want you to imagine you're not just reading some boring book, which many of us fall into the habit of thinking. Right? Because you tried to read through the Bible. You got to Leviticus 2, and you're like, I'm done. <laughs> Seriously, there was a lot of begotten going on. You know, like, it was crazy. These people had no free time. They were just begotting people. It was just ridiculous. That was all they read about. <laughs> Need to get a hobby or something. Collect stamps or something. Jeez. But when you read through this book, I want you to realize God is speaking to you. God is communicating with you. And so I'm going to go to Hebrews in just a moment, Hebrews 11. But I want to read Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Because I believe one of the first things that Jesus would remind us of is his words here in Matthew, if you could sit across from him during coffee. Listen to what it says. And Jesus said unto them, Matthew 17, 20, if you're taking notes, Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible for you, unto you. I'm going to ask that we would pray and just ask God to speak into our lives as we look into his word this morning. Father, we ask that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that we would not hinder you or limit you in any way, but we would ask that you have freedom to communicate with us, to lead us and to guide us into all truth, as your word says that you will do. I pray that you bring to remembrance all the things that we've learned of faith in Jesus Christ and what that looks like. I pray you'd, you'd help us to have the ability to know with a clear understanding what it looks like to have faith. Namely, Lord, I, I pray that we would remember what our faith is about. Why we even have such a thing called faith. And I pray that you'd be glorified in all of this. Lord, help us to understand that we need to grow in our faith, not so that we can be something, but that we can make much of you. And I pray, Father, that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. 
basically here, Jesus is sharing with us that if you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, a mustard seed, just a small little faith that you can do anything. What's possible for somebody with that kind of faith? Anything. Why? Because he says nothing is impossible. Now, here's what we do, though. And maybe you've found these channels, you've found these sermons, you've heard these things. I've heard so many a good preacher camp right here for the entire hour and a half message, and at the end of it say, we're going to pass those plates again. And as you give by faith to our ministry, we're going to see God do great things. Do you have the faith? Do you have the faith? This whole this faith movement thing where it's like, okay, you know, name it and claim it kind of a thing. That's not what Jesus was saying, by the way. What Jesus was saying is two basic things. Number one, I reward even the simplest and smallest faith is what he's really getting at, number one. By the way, I'm thankful for that because I've got pretty small faith sometimes. Anybody else got small faith sometimes? Doubts? Anybody doubt sometimes? Anybody pray, finish praying and go, God, can you really do that? Can we be honest? I've done that. Okay, you, some people are just cl- like me. They'll raise their hands high. I love some people. They do this. That's me. Yeah. Oh, yep, that's me. Okay. Man, we all, you know why we do this instead of this? Because we're thinking we're the only ones. You're not the only one. Everyone in this room has prayed a prayer and at some season of life finished praying that prayer and said, God, I believe you can do all things, but man, I've got some unbelief. You know what I'm saying? And I believe what Jesus is saying here is saying that if you have just the smallest, simplest, smallest little measure of faith, man, I'll bless that and I'll use that. And by the way, why does the mountain need to be moved? It's only going to be moved if it's for his glory. Okay? You can't just be like, oh, you're gone, just because on a whim. Consume it on your own lust for vain and glory and pride. No, you're not exercising faith then. Faith is coming through humility, saying, God, I need you to do this because I can't. That's why we need faith. So Jesus is saying, number one, I reward even the simplest and most basic faith. But also I believe in using this analogy of a mustard seed, I believe he's teaching us also, and he would share with us as we sit over coffee with him, I think he would say this, your faith is supposed to grow. When you put that seed in the ground, what are you hoping for? Fruits, harvest, growth. And I believe what Jesus is saying, man, you might start with this small, simple, very basic faith. Just a simplistic, simplistic faith. But when you plant that in the word of God by the working of the Holy Spirit and in his grace and redemption, oh man, the fruit and the harvest that comes. So I think Jesus' whole point was saying, man, it's a faith that is simple, but man, I'll reward it, I'll use it, and I'll, watch it, I'll do great things through your life through it. But also your faith needs to be growing I think that was really kind of the basics of what Jesus was laying a foundation of. So if we're sitting across from coffee or over coffee, he's going to say, man, these are some things you need to know about faith. Go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Some of you are already there. Again, you've started there. Hebrews 11, and many of you know where I'm going with this. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. So Hebrews 11, verse 1. As we continue to look at this idea, what what does God's word say here? This might be a short message. I'm getting warm already. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Some of you are like, hey, amen. Um, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Anybody else willing to admit you've read that verse a few times and been like, what? Like the, the logic of that verse drives me insane. How can you have evidence for something you can't 
see. But what does he say here? He's saying, listen, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is called the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, things that we cannot see, the evidence for those things that we cannot see. The word substance is the word for ground or confidence. Listen to that. Faith is the substance, the very ground on which we stand. And I am so thankful for the ground on which we stand in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that his word lays this foundation that the apostles and the prophets and the disciples and all those who went before, they said, man, we're laying this foundation. What does Paul say? Never to be built again. It is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And as his church, we stand upon, upon that foundation. We stand sure. It's our confidence. This faith is our confidence. And I love this idea here because it says it's the confidence of things hoped for. The word evidence is obviously the word for proof. The word for proof. The faith we place in Christ becomes proof to the rest of the world and the ground on which we stand, believing in the truth of his word. This verse does not give us the definition of faith, but the description of what faith does and how it works. I want you to listen to that now. This verse does not define faith for us. It gives us a description of faith and how it works. And it is the ground on which we stand. What does that hymn say? All of the ground is what? Shifting sand, right? It's, all, it's not secure. It's not sure. It's not firm. But man, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it is solid. It is sure. It is a guarantee. People are like, oh, I hope I can go to heaven one day. You know, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's not a hope like a wish way off over there. It's saying, no, no, I have this confidence based on something greater than me. What does the apostle say? We had a greater word of prophecy, a more sure word than even our own experiences, eyewitness accounts, and it's the word of God. See here, this idea here of the world seeing it as proof. What is our faith supposed to do? It's supposed to grow from being a simple faith, a very basic faith. As we walk with Christ, we grow in our faith. And what's the outcome supposed to be? We have a security, and what is the world going to see? I mean, our faith becomes evidence to them. You want to know how to convince your neighbors and lead your neighbors to Christ? It's not having a better argument. You can debate. You can have conversations. I'm all for that, obviously. But, man, you really want to show them the difference Christ can make? Let your faith speak louder than your words. Now, we put words to our faith, do we not? We said for four weeks, we have to say the gospel, we have to speak it, we have to put it in words. But man, the Bible seems to suggest even your faith becomes evidence of what you're standing on, the faith in which you're trusting. So what key thoughts would God want us to leave, with, uh, leave this conversation with on faith? I want to give you just a couple things, and then we got something different. We're going to end the service with a little testimony, and I'm excited for you to hear this. But I want to kind of walk through this real quick. If it's okay with you guys, I am going to sit down for a second. Um, there's a chair here, so that's why I want to sit down. I usually wouldn't, but there's a chair, so you sit. You know what I'm saying? All right, so go over to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Because I want to look at some other verses here as we walk this out in this conversation with God. Because I truly believe that if we sat down with God and we have coffee with him, the number one thing that he would start with, end with, and want us to be reminded of is that faith in him is all about him. I want to say that again, and you need to write this down 
and maybe put this on a mirror at home. Because I believe every single day we need to be reminded of this. Faith in him is all about him. And the reason I say this is because some of us, we start believing this lie that we think faith is about us. You know, over, we're not going to go there for time's sake, but Paul talks about the armor of God, right? You've ever studied the armor of God? What's the shield called? The shield of? You ever hear someone preach this? Man, but if you have little faith, you have a little shield. But if you have big faith, you have a big shield. And they'll preach this to you and they'll say, man, if you're being tempted by Satan, you just need a bigger shield. So you better get busy having bigger faith. Now, is our faith supposed to grow? We just established that. I believe it is. And we're going to get into that a little bit more here in a minute. But that is not what Paul was talking about when he said the shield of faith. He wasn't trying to use it as a manipulation tactic to get you to go, oh, I need bigger faith. That's the problem. I don't have enough faith. No, no, no. Paul was saying, no, no, no. When you exhibit faith in Christ, he becomes your shield. You don't control, I mean, it's, listen, it's not this trick that we need to play. God, okay, God, I believe you a little more today. Would you protect me today? No, it's God, I believe you because of who you are. And I stand on the ground of your foundation, and that becomes my shield. That becomes my protection from these fiery darts that Paul says the enemy is launching at us. So don't ever buy into that. I've heard that preached before, and it just drives me crazy when I hear stuff like that. You don't, it's not, your faith isn't about you. Your faith isn't about what's in your checking account. Your faith isn't about how sick or not sick you get. That's another one I've heard. That's always a good one. Oh, you got a cold? No faith. Oh, you got the flu? No faith. You know, it's amazing to me how, how we kind of manipulate these things for what we think we want and need. When faith is solely about him. And I believe that's what Jesus would remind us of. God would remind us of here. So Romans chapter 12. I was talking. I didn't go there. Give me a minute here. Romans chapter 12. We'll get there. All right, Romans 12 and verse 3. The first thing we have to realize, the reason that faith is all about him, that his faith, our, our faith in him, his faith is really all about him, is because he gives it to us. He gives it to us. Look at Romans 12 and verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That means in the right frame of mind. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Man, you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, guys, you're getting pretty high in the horse there. You're kind of getting a little too big for your britches. You think it's all about you. He's saying, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. You do realize that the faith you're exhibiting and exercising all of these gifts that God gives you, the very faith you're using to use those spiritual gifts was given to you? Man, it's all about him because he gives it to us. We are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. Man, we exhibit faith in him, but he is the one that gives us the faith. Praise him that he grants us the gift to be able to believe. Remember, he is the, what does Hebrews say? The author and finisher of our faith. He is the author of our faith. This is why I believe that Paul says, based on creation and the measure of faith in you, there is no man without an excuse. Every man is going to be held accountable, man and woman, when they stand before God as to whether they're in Christ or not in Christ. And they can't say, oh, but I didn't. Nope, 
every man is without an excuse. You can look at all the things that were created and see, man, there's something that made this. And then he puts inside every one of us. I truly believe this. Some will debate this. I believe he puts in every, inside every human being just a measure of faith to be able to believe when presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, we've allowed sin and corruption in our culture. We've allowed our, the enemy to cloud our minds. And that measure of faith, we believe, is somehow not existent, but it's there. And I believe that we are without an excuse. And it's all about him because he gives it to us. This is why Paul says we are without excuse. Our faith, your faith, isn't about you. It's all about him. First and foremost, because he gave it to you. But I believe faith in him is all about him because he's the one that actually grows our faith. He's the one that grows our faith. Go over to James chapter 1. If you're in Romans, just go over a couple of books there. James chapter 1. I do appreciate you guys bringing your Bibles this morning. And uh, if you do need a Bible, I said it before, but honestly, we have Bibles we would love to give you. Uh, you can get the Bible app on our, our church app. has the Bible app on there. Um, so, yeah, definitely want to make sure you have the Word of God in your hands if you do not have it. And I know I was kind of debating about all these verses, but you know what? I thought if we're going to have a conversation with God, what would God take us to? If you're having a conversation with God in the flesh, where's God going to take you? Straight to his scripture. How do we know that? Little teaching moment. Because he wrote it, number one, right? It's his. What did Jesus say to Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness? He quoted what? Scripture. Just gave him scripture. Gave him scripture. How often does Jesus remind the disciples or the Pharisees or the, the lawyers in the, in the law, this is what the law says? This is what God says. So I believe when I was writing this message out, I thought, man, we need to go through some scriptures. I want to see what God's word says. James chapter 1, look at verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You ever read that and stop for a second and go, yeah, right. I mean, sometimes we have a habit of just reading through scripture without reading through scripture. You know what I mean? We read that and go, oh, mm, amen. I count it all joy when I go through diverse temptations. That word temptations means tests or trials. You know what God is saying here? Through the, 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 the writer James, everything you go through, every trial, test, whether it's a trial and testing of God to purify your faith and to grow you that way, or it's a temptation and a trial from the world or the enemy to sin, and you resist that temptation by God's grace, and he grows you through that, no matter what it is, he says, count it all joy. So how can I count it all joy? By the way, does anyone here want to go through a rough time? You want to go through a really hard season? Raise your hand. That's what I figured. How many of you want to see your faith grow in Christ? Raise your hand. Okay. Guess how it's going to happen? Not the only way, but one of the ways is you should have raised your hand the first time. But this is hard for us, isn't it? Isn't it hard to go through a situation that is completely unfathomable to us? And go, man, God, how can you possibly use this? And he says, hey, 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 count it all joy. The joy is, look at verse 3. My joy comes because I know this. I love that James says that. Knowing this, having a confidence and assurance of this, he says, that the trying of your faith works patience. You know what that word patience means? Endurance. Verse 4, patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting 
nothing. And then he says in verse 5, one of the most beautiful verses in James, if any of you lack wisdom, I'd raise my hand there. Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Why does he say right after about joy and trial, say, now if you need wisdom, ask of God? Because we start focusing on what we understand. We pull the old Proverbs. We're leaning onto our own thinking instead of leaning on his ways. And when we're leaning on our thinking, we're not using what? Wisdom. But man, when I realize, God, I need your wisdom because I want to see this situation through your eyes, I'll realize this is growing me. This is giving me a strength, an endurance, a patience. People say, oh, you should never pray for patience. James seems to say that's the one thing that's going to make you want nothing. You want to be complete, mature, perfect? Patience. You know how you get patience? Trials. Now, real quick, I said it a few minutes ago. Where do trials come from? There's trials of God to grow our faith. These are trials and tests and things that he allows into our life that are not to sin but to trust. Then the world and our enemy and our flesh, as we go on to read, will tempt us to sin. God is never the author of sin, by the way. He is never the tempter to sin. If you feel like yourself being tempted to sin, you can't say, God, why are you doing this to me? He has nothing to do with that. He's allowing it into your life, and he can use it for his glory, but he is not the one authoring it. But he is saying, listen, whether it's this test or that test, we studied this in our men's Bible study, the very same tests and trials and struggles that Satan will use to defeat you are the very same ones that God will use to grow you. Where you have to make a choice. Where am I going to look in this trial? Where am I going to trust? Where's my faith going to be rested? Is it in myself? Because that will lead to falling. Or is it into him and growth? You see, our faith grows through him. Again, our joy comes in the results of the temptation, not during the temptation. This is exactly what Peter was referring to. Jot it down for notes. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. That when we go through trials, we are not caught off guard, but we have joy. He says, hey, don't be surprised. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be surprised. Whoa, what is this thing happening to me? As though we're somehow above any temptations or trials because we're in Christ. Again, this seems to go in the face of a lot of these guys on TV, doesn't it? No, no, don't be surprised. This isn't a strange thing. You should welcome this in your life, basically, Peter's saying. Why? Because, man, it is doing something for you. John Piper says it this way. There's no such thing as a useless tragedy for a Christian. Every single tear you cry, every season you go through, every tragedy, every hardship, every trial, God can use for his glory and your blessing. Don't be surprised. No, 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 no. You don't have to enjoy the trial. You enjoy the results. What did Jesus do, by the way, when he was leading up to the cross? Man, he says he looked through the cross, beyond the cross. He despised the shame of the cross. He endured all of that, just this despicable things that happened to him because he knew there was a joy. What joy? That we would be redeemed. He says, man, I looked through that. I looked past that. And I looked at every one of these faces. Could you imagine this? If you were there at the foot of the cross and you tried to pull Jesus down, you know what he'd do? He'd stop you. He'd say, man, I get it. I love you too. But you don't understand. You need this. Do you ever think that way? If I was there in the crowd, I would say, oh, no, no. Take him down. Take him down. Odds are you'd be just like the rest of the disciples. Jesus who? What you talking about? I don't know no Jesus. I'm not one of them. 
It's believed that John, the beloved, was there, but he was awful silent. You know what? Jesus is okay with that, though, because it's what we needed. When we go through these seasons, these trials, and if you could sit with God and say, God, why, am I, why is this happening to me? I think that's the number one question I hear as a pastor. Why? 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 I tell people like this, and if God really gave me what I really deserved, I should never ask why. Oh, that makes sense. Yep, mm-hmm, I earned that one. Mm-hmm, yep, oh, I deserve that one. It's not like God's up there laughing at us going, mm ha ha I'll get it to him this time. I'll give it to him real good. No. Man, his heart breaks with us, but he's saying, would you just listen? In a fallen world, in a sinful world, things are going to happen. But just trust me, and I can use it, and I can grow you, and I'll make my name known. See, he grows our faith. I believe this is also what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, when he said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Isn't that great? You ever feel like it's not a moment? When you admit that trial, you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like a moment. Man, this feels like an eternity. Right? It's so funny how that works too. When you were dating your now spouse, you'd look to, like for days maybe if you couldn't be together every single day. I know Sandra and I, we went to school in two different states. That's a great way to build a relationship, by the way, and I'm not being funny about that. I really do mean that. Because it forces you to do something. Talk to each other. You ever notice dating is like, hey, let's go on a date. You want to go to a movie and sit for three hours in the dark and just stare at a screen and not talk to each other and then go home? Right, well, that's a way to build a relationship right there. And you're like, he's against movies. No, I'm not. I'm just saying. When you're in two different states, you have to talk to each other. And this is before Skype. Okay, so all you couples now, oh, we have it so bad. You have Skype, video chat, Facebook. Get over it, okay? We had nights and weekends, okay? Anybody else know what I'm talking about nights and weekends when the minutes were free? Okay, yeah. You're like, oh, is it 9 o'clock yet? Because I just can't afford any more minutes. But, man, when we were in those moments and we'd come home for a weekend for Thanksgiving or Christmas, that time, we would look forward to that time so much. And then when you get to that time, what does it feel like when it's all done? You're like, oh, it's over already? But when you're going through a trial or a struggle, something you don't want, doesn't it just feel like it just goes on and on and on? And it's all about our perspective. It's all about our perspective. And Paul says, hey, this is a light affliction, and it's for a moment. Now, he's not demeaning what we're going through, but in reality, in the course of eternity, isn't it a moment? When you think eternity, how would you define eternity? I define it as just forever that never stops forever. Could you imagine your little five-year struggle, two-year struggle, one-year struggle, ten-year struggle in the course of eternity? It felt like forever right here. But when you step back and go, oh, man, from God's eyes... It's a moment. Paul says it is a light affliction, which is but for a moment. Works for us, listen to this now, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. That trial going through, God's using it. One author said it well when he said this, God always tests us to bring out the best. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst. In life, we will face various pressures, but when we surrender to the Lord and trust him, he will grow our faith. It's all about him because he gives it to us. He grows it. And number three, before we get to the, the testimony, he expects us to use it. Go back to Romans. He expects us to use it. It's all about him because he gives it to us. He grows our faith and he expects us to use it. Romans 1 and verse 16. Romans 1 and verse 16. 
It says this in, in the book of Romans, chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Man, praise God to everyone. Do you see that? Everyone. That person you think that's never going to get saved, there's no way. You have no idea. Man, God can save anyone. It says, the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. The Greek just means the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That's the Jewish people and then everyone else is Gentiles in the world. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by sight. Is that what it says? No, no, no. Faith. The just shall live by faith. If you were sitting across from the Lord over coffee, he would remind you of the purpose of faith. It is to produce fruit in us so that he is glorified. We walk by faith and not by sight. True faith in Christ will produce not merely the desire to do what he asks or leads, but it will actually produce the ability to follow through on that desire. True faith, active faith, doesn't just create a desire in us, it gives us the ability to act and follow through on that desire. Some of us feel so handicapped by certain things we've gone through, decisions we've made, sinful things we've done. We think we're not good enough. We don't know enough. We're not blah, 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 blah. You just fill in all the blanks and God says, whoa, whoa, time out. It's not about you. It's about me. And if you will walk by faith and live by faith and the just, it says, to live by faith. Man, you'll watch me do great things. This was the whole point of James chapter 2. Faith produces tangible fruits. By faith, we can become the answers to our own prayers. By faith, you can become the answer to your own prayer. Now you might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, I didn't say you pray to you, but when you pray to God and say, God, would you do this in my life? Or would you lead this person to Christ? Or would you work in this person's life? Or would you do that? By faith, we start tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. And he starts saying, okay, now you're going to go do what you just prayed. Lord, would you just lead this community to Christ? All right, I'm going to use you now to go do that. The ability of faith, the gift from God of faith, allows us to be the answers to our own prayer requests. Oftentimes we'll say, I'll pray about that. Okay, you ever, if you ask somebody, hey, would you help me move Saturday? Pray about that. That's no, okay. I, I don't know if you know Christianese. That's just, if you translate that, Google translate, no, okay. But when we say, oh, I'll pray about that, and then we actually give ourselves to fervent, diligent prayer. Isn't it true oftentimes we'll be led to be the answer to our own request? What did the disciples, or what were they asked to pray by Jesus? Hey, the harvest is great, but the what? The laborers are few. Pray that you therefore the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest. What, he do, what does he do in Matthew chapter 10 right after they pray that? Okay, here's where you're going. Here's your job assignment. Go into the harvest. Oftentimes God will lead us to pray for something because he's preparing you to do something. Now, he may not call you to the mission field. He may be doing something else there. But I'm saying we always need to be aware by faith, God, give me the ability to not just have a desire for this to happen and a prayer for this to happen, but I'll roll up my sleeves. I'll roll up my sleeves and I'll get involved. I'll do what needs to be done. I'll step out. Man, so many times we pray for things that we can do because we want an excuse not to do it. We pray for things that we know we can do and have the ability to accomplish, but we don't want to do it, so we'll pray for it and ask God, send someone else. 
And what did God say? I'm looking for one person to stand in the gap. Just, just looking for one. Man, Isaiah said, I'll, I'll go. I'll do that. In churches today, we got people like, oh, Billy's good at that. Billy, you should send, hey, pick Billy. He's pretty good at that. He's a good speaker. I'm really busy. I got PTA and work and, you know, kids doing this. And I got, I mean, I got my own thing going. I got my shows that are DVRing right now that I got to watch those. And, you know, we're been watching this series on Netflix. I just, look, I would love to give you the time, Lord. But Billy's really free. He loves you and he'll do it. You must say, nobody would ever pray that. That's exactly what we pray when we close our hearts and minds to God and say, God, I won't, but I'm praying someone else will. And then we're going, God, why don't I see you moving like I thought you would? Why haven't I heard from you like I used to? Well, it's our used to was more active than now. So sometimes we have to realize that our faith needs to be put into action. I believe it's often true. I want you to watch uh, this short video testimony, and it's just a few minutes, but I want you to watch this. And uh, I want you to listen to this individual talk about his experience with faith. And I want you to see that it's all about the Lord leading us places we could never go on ourselves or by ourselves. It's not about seeing what God is doing. It's about stepping out by faith and see what God can do. And so I want you to listen to this. I thought it was a great testimony. And then we'll close right after this video. to Sunday school, um, you enjoy hearing the, the, the Bible stories, and then you go uh, to, you know, the big the big sermon, the big church, and you sit there, and I'm just, you know, me and my brother just kind of hitting each other, just wondering when it's going to get over. <laughs> the second to last game of the season, third round of the playoffs, um, I was the starting quarterback. Um, I suffered a torn ACL in my knee. It was devastating devastating for me. Junior high school too, this was when you're supposed to get recruited and just all of these things. I had to wait to have surgery for a month because they had to let the MCL heal before they repaired the ACL and then I was still on crutches and it was just, I'd hit that point. I had seen friends have that injury and never come back quite the same. So what I thought was just going to be my life, sports, I felt like was being stripped away from me. And I remember sitting in church on my 17th birthday and sitting in that same pew where my brother and I used to just goof around and never pay attention. And for some reason that day, it was different. And I was locked in um, on the pastor as he was sitting there talking about how the Lord was looking for a few good men to carry on his kingdom, to spread his word and to live the life that, that he had planned for them. And that spoke to me. And it was at that moment that I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and knew that there was something that was bigger planned for me than just sports. fifth season, going into an off season in which I did not have a contract, I was going to be a free agent. I get hurt the very last game of the 2005 season with the San Diego Chargers. I never dislocated anything in my life, but I knew exactly what happened. And I knew too that besides maybe like a broken neck or something, that that is the absolute worst injury that I could ever have asked for for a quarterback. As I'm walking off the field with my shoulders stuck like this because it was dislocated, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm probably never going to put on a Charger uniform again. And then it hits me that, you know what, I might not ever play football again. A few short months later, uh, my wife and I were taking a visit to uh, New Orleans. Uh, it was six months post-Katrina. 
and we're just looking at the, the sheer devastation and just saying, I'm not going to trust what I see with my eyes here because my eyes are telling me not to come here. <laughs> and yet my heart, my soul, the Lord is telling me that this is our calling. Uh, it's not about just coming to play football and be a part of the resurgence of a, a football team or an organization, but it's about the resurrection and rebirth of a city and we can be a part of that. score the Colts are driving we get the interception we go score now we're up 14 with three minutes left and yet you're still thinking I know Peyton Manning I know this this team in your mind you're going through all these scenarios of what you're gonna have to do still and then we get the ball back um, to basically take a knee to win the game and it wasn't until that moment that all right we are world champions As, as people do we want to see and touch and feel in order for it to be real for us and yet 2 Corinthians 5-7 I'll tell you you'll be led by faith and not by sight you know so much of life is that it's it's faith in God knowing that he's got a plan and at times you don't understand it and you're not going to see it um, and yet you just have to trust and you have to have faith You guys bow your heads right there where you are, and uh, we're just going to spend a few moments in, in an invitation time where you can respond to what the Lord may be doing. But as you're there with your heads bowed, I, I want to just encourage you. I'm always blown away with how God can use situations in our lives that we would never imagine could be used for anything good. Situations that we feel like there's no possible way this can work out. And when we trust in him, we may not see what we thought we would see. We may not see the plan unfold like we thought it would. But if we're trusting in him and we're walking by faith and not by sight, no matter the situation, we will always see his glory on display. We will always see his kingdom built. And as was said in the video, when your eyes are telling you, oh, man, there's nothing possibly good that God can do here, you have to tap into that, that voice of the Spirit and say, Lord, what are you leading me to do? Because, see, one thing I want us to realize this morning more than anything else, as your head's bowed and your eyes are closed there, and we're going to respond in just a moment, I pray that you're just asking God, God, speak to me in this area of faith. I pray that we'd realize more than anything else, your faith is not about you. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your convenience. It's not about even your plan. Faith says, God, I'm trusting you. I'm just believing that I'm going to walk through these doors that are your will. And if you change it, then, Lord, I'm going to praise you for it. So we're writing our plans in pencil. We're erasing the things that God erases for us. And we, we keep walking for him so that his glory is known. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask that when we stand in just a moment, maybe you would come and just bend the knee and say, God, I'm going through something right now. God, there's this trial, this stress, there's this, this situation that I'm going through that, that I just don't see. I don't see the finish line. I don't see how you're going to use this all. 
And Lord, I'm going to ask that as I'm going through this trial, this, this situation with a coworker, a family member, a, a situation at home, a situation at work, a situ- wherever it is, you're just going through these trials and you could come and say, God, I'm going to ask that you would grow my faith through this season, that I would trust you even when my eyes are trying to tell me there's not anything to trust, that I would ask that you would give me the strength to walk by faith. Maybe somebody here this morning that has gone through something recently and, and you're seeing now God start to do something with it or God has used it and you just want to come and bend a knee and say, God, I didn't thank you when I was going through the trial, but I'm thanking you now because you're going to use it. Maybe you're here and you've gone through something and you haven't seen it do something yet, but you're going to come and say, God, I'm believing that you're going to use that situation in my life. And so I'm asking you to grow my faith from it, to use me to make your name known through it, and that I would thank you for it, that I would have a joy because you're giving me endurance and strength in my faith. All I'm going to ask is that we would just respond. Maybe you just want to come and bend a knee and just thank him for his salvation. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, maybe you would this morning, right there where you are in your seats, that you would just, in your heart of hearts, that you would cry out to him. It's not about a prayer. It's about your heart. It's about saying, God, I believe that I've sinned believe that I violated your laws, that I'm not perfect, but I believe that you died on a cross for my sins, that you gave yourself for my sins, that you were buried in a tomb and rose again, and now I'm asking that I would, by faith, believe these things, trusting you as my Savior, turning my life over to you, turning away from the old way of living, and turning to you, surrendering all to you. Father, we ask that wherever we are, in our lives right now, that we would just cry out to you, that maybe some would come and bend a knee and say, grow our faith. Help us to live by faith, to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, thank you for your gift of faith, your grace and your love. When we have a lack of faith, thank you for being there for us. Thank you for being open when we cry out to you in honesty and say, we believe you can do all things, but help our unbelief. It's all about you, God. Everything we're talking, it's all about you and your glory. And may you make your glory known, we ask in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Maybe you want to come and bend a knee. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't think about anyone else. This ain't about anyone else. What's God saying to you? God, help me to walk by faith, not by sight. And thank you for the trials. That you would be glorified.